0: Father, Father, this morning um, we are in a desperate need of your presence. Um, This morning, Lord, the hearts of many are heavy because we live on this side of heaven. There's so much brokenness that we experience. There's so much hurt, Lord. Some of us are emotionally just in shambles, and it's hard even to focus even now, Lord, because of our, our experiences and what happened today, this morning, yesterday, last week, last year. We have, we have chips in us, little, little scars and little breaks in our, in our being, Lord, and it, it hurts. They're, they're sore. They're sore, Lord. And we are in desperate need of your, your healing balm to just be, to be rubbed on us, Lord. As the, the songs spoke, Lord, it's amazing that you know our name. But it's easy to forget that if we don't focus on you and concentrate on you and think on you and worship you. We tend to think we out here alone. But as believers in our Lord Jesus, we've been adopted into a family. And we have you, our God and our King, as our very head. We're not alone, despite what the enemy may think. We are not hopeless. Our hope is in you. But Lord, far be it from us to forget you. I know, Lord, that I have forgotten you many a day and in many a moment where I've leaned into sinful self-sufficiency. And I just figured I got this. And I quickly realized, Lord, I I, I don't. And in my more sober, honest moments, I acknowledge the brokenness there within. And, uh, Lord, you've never turned your back on me. You just call me back home like you did the prodigal. Son, and Lord, I, I pray that the brothers and sisters here who are feeling the weight of anguish in their soul in a sense of discomfort and a lack of peace would find it in you that though they may have not thought of you first or come to you first as they ought to have, that you are standing on the, on the porch of your home looking out waiting for the prodigal to return. And that these men and women here would turn their gaze back again towards you. And that they would give all their heart of worship towards you this morning. And that they would get to experience the mercy and grace that was purchased for us on that bloody cross 2,000 years ago. And that we would put all of our hope, all of our trust in that, in what you have done. Father, thank you for loving us despite us. Thank you for displaying and proving your love to us by sending your son Jesus to endure your wrath for all who would believe. Father, help us be present in this place. Fix our plans. Fix this sermon. Fix our worship together. Just be present. And we we will respond accordingly, Lord, as our act of worship to you. Thank you for loving us. Let me give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Canaan Parker, I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. We're going through a series in the book of Galatians. And so go ahead and open in your copy of God's word to the book of Galatians. The theme of the series is for freedom. Christ has set us free. And you're going to hear a lot of talk about being set free from two things, free from the law, the Mosaic law and free from sin. And this is what the Lord Jesus has purchased for us upon his cross. While you're turning there, I want to actually uh, confess some sin to you. It's all good, brother. You'll confess that after I'm done. Um, Being a pastor is a unique thing. My service to you is to be filled with the spirit that I may lead you and serve you and try to get you as close to Jesus as possible, that the Lord would use these hands to bring healing to your soul. And part of that work is the proclamation of God's word. And that happens every week. We do that here. And, and for me in particular, who tends to be the most regular of the preachers here at our church, um, I have this this sinful inclination to desire to hit a home run every week. And I want to preach in such a way where the masses are impacted because of what Canaan has said on the stage. And every now and again, and I confess that to you to hold me accountable. This week. um, The Lord made this week's preparation really hard. And I had to bang this sermon on the anvil of prayer for many hours hoping and praying that it would release its riches to me, that I may give it to you. And I realized through that prayer that I'm not in control of what the spirit does through his word for you. And what's amazing is that we know this here and you know this here, but it's so funny how quickly we revert back to our old ways and how the praise of man can corrupt our soul so quickly. And so I ask you as members and attenders of Pillar to pray for your pastors. Pray for us because we feel the weight of human expectation in a way that many don't. And we don't want to yield an ounce to that. We want to yield to whatever God wants to say and do, even if it's not the plans we had from the beginning. A lot of us here. So I confess that to you. And I ask for your prayer. Let me pray right now. Father, thank you for giving us a people that I can be transparent with and share my heart with. And who don't judge me when I do. They love me in response. And I know that's not the case for a lot of people in a lot of places, Lord, but. By your kindness and grace, that's here. And I don't want to take it for granted. I want to utilize it to, the, to its max. And I thank you for the opportunity to sit in a room like this, to sit under your word. I pray that you would use it however you want and that you would get all the glory as a result of its preaching. We give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, a lot of us here have pasts. Uh, and all of us have passed, right? We're here. <laughs> you all have passed. We all have passed, but a lot of us have passed that we're really not proud of. Um, we've done things. I've done things. I have a past full of dirt and, and you do too. You have a, a past full of decisions that were unholy and unhelpful to you, decisions that ultimately hurt you. And even now, some of you are living in the um, living in the consequence of those actions, even today, right? That This is just the reality of of our experience as people is that we make harsh decisions apart from the will of God, and then we have to live with those decisions as a consequence uh, for what we have done. And then, if if by God's grace you've trusted in Jesus, um, He transforms and He changes the disposition of our hearts, and we're now no longer living for ourselves; we're living for Him. And there is a temptation among some of us to hide our past, to no longer talk about our past, to act as if our past. No longer happened or doesn't exist. But beloved, that's not the way we see in the scriptures. We're not to glorify the sin of our past, because for those who grew up in contexts like I grew up, we talk about who did the worst thing. That's glorifying your sin and glorifying uh, the sin of your past. But we're to utilize our past and share the testimonies of our past experiences and our past shortcomings as a formal way of encouraging other brothers and sisters who are enduring and going through and making the same decisions that we made. And what we're showing people by relaying our history, our past to them, is that Jesus' arms are not too short to save. He can redeem and transform the life of any man or woman in here or out there. Nobody is able to resist him in that sense. He is able to save and redeem. And so we share our pasts We cannot be proud of our pasts, but we share them in light of the glory of what God has done to redeem it, and that there's nothing that we can do to separate us from God's love if we come to trust and believe in his name. Nothing, no skeleton in our closet is big enough to scare God's grace away. And we see that happening in our passage this morning as we study the book of Galatians. We see the Apostle Paul utilizing the realities of his past as a means of forwarding the message of freedom in Christ, as a form of of encouraging the saints who are hearing and may have experienced a similar past as he's experienced, that God's arms are not too short to save, they're not too weak, they're mighty, they're strong, and His grace is powerful. And as we pick up in this passage, I want to encourage you to think through what God has saved you from, because in this expedited world where everything's about productivity and time we've lost the art of reflection we've lost the art of slowly sitting down in silence how many of you don't show your hands how many of you sit in silence as an intentional part of your day just to hear some of you yes most of us we don't so we get up to the sound of our alarm We have music playing in the background. We're singing in the shower. We put on a podcast in the car. We get to work, and we're diligent at work unless you're stealing time from your employer. Right? Some of y'all, right? Uh Uh-huh. Guilty. Dang. You know, conviction was going to hit this early in the message, huh? I ain't even get to the text yet. We steal time from our employer. I'm sorry. We work diligently, right? And then we go home, and for those of us who are single, we're making plans to go out and hang out with friends. Those of us who are married or dating, we're trying to see our significant other. And for those of us who have kids, it's pick them up from school, and it's homework, and it's bath time, and it's sit down and put on the news, and then you put your head down, and nowhere in that space was there silence, solitude. Everything is about productivity and speed and go, 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 go. And when we do that, we lose the awe and wonder of God's salvation for us and what He's done to us so I want to encourage you to do that as we go through the text. I want you to think through your week and find intentional time to sit in silence that you may be in awe as, as to what God has done for you. Even writing it down is helpful. We come to the Galatians. We're in chapter 1 still and we're in verse 11. If you have in your possession a cross-reference sheet, we're going to be referencing that frequently. Go ahead and pull that out as we will be going through that in just a few moments. We're going to see Paul continuing to make a contrast like he did last week. Look, beloved, look at verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. Stop right there. That sounds familiar because the apostle Paul is being redundant. If you remember just a few weeks ago when we started this series in in Galatians, we saw him say this in verse one. He says, I am Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man. Right. We saw that. And now he's saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. One may be asking the question at this point, why does the apostle Paul seem to be so redundant and, and, and so forceful? And letting the Galatians know that his apostleship and his gospel is not from a human source. He keeps saying that. Paul is constantly having to defend his apostleship and his gospel. See, this is the human side of the scriptures that we miss when we read. Paul's character is under attack in most of the cities that he visits to proclaim the gospel. All we have are his 13 letters and we think he was some juggernaut in the faith and no one questioned Paul. No. Paul was constantly defending his apostleship, both in Corinth, and we see him doing it here with the Galatians. People out there are proclaiming and saying that Paul is not a legitimate apostle, that anything he has to say is bogus because he's not one of the 12. And because he's not one of the 12, they're saying, Paul, whatever you have to say is secondary to whatever the 12 have to say. And the 12 are the 12 apostles that were selected by Jesus during his earthly ministry. Seeing that those 12 apostles carried a significant weight in the early church, and and rightly so. And there were false teachers who were going to the churches in Galatia and trying to convince the people that what Paul had to say is irrelevant. Okay, that he's not a real apostle. That his gospel is fraudulent, is what they were saying. Now, before we look at what Paul is meaning when he says that in verse 11, verse 11 is tied to verse 12, right? So he's meaning something. But I just want you to look at verse 11 for the pure strength of verse 11. Look at what it says. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. I want you to understand the raw truth of that. The gospel itself is not of human origin. By itself, the gospel is not of human origin. The gospel is a you know, what we uh, many of us think the gospel is Jesus saved us from our sins and we're done with the gospel. But the gospel is broader than that. It does more than just redeem me and you from our sins. Yes, the gospel is God's rescue pa- plan for a sinful people. That's true. But the gospel is also the inauguration of an entire kingdom of which Jesus is the king. The gospel is also the unification of a people who once had beef. They're now unified because they've been redeemed in the son of God. But more than all of that, the gospel is how God saves us from God. But we don't think that through. The gospel in and of itself is divine from beginning to end. It's God saving us from God. Look at John chapter 3, verse 16 in your cross-reference sheet. We read the Gospel of John a lot. I want you just to just pay attention to certain terms. Then we're going to look at another verse in John. In John three sixteen, it says this. Notice the verb. Notice who's the acting agent. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, we have eternal life. This is the first part of that statement. This is God saving us. But what's he saving us from? Well, keep reading in the Gospel of John to down to verse 36. See it in your cross-reference sheet. He's saving us from himself. It repeats. John 3, 36. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. Then there's a but. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, what happens instead? The wrath of who? God remains on him. This is God who's the lover of our soul. He's giving of his son to what end? That he might save us from his own wrath. That statement that Paul says stands on its own two feet. The gospel is divine from beginning to end. And if you believe a gospel that is manufactured by man, the gospel is impotent to save you. This is why, and you notice what's missing from John 3.16 and John 3.36. Anything that you can do in order to help aid your salvation. No, it's not there. Because the gospel is divine in and of itself. He's saving you. You're the recipient of his work. But if we continue to keep it in context... Paul's saying that the gospel he has is not given by human origin. He's speaking with respect to to verse 12. He says, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. As I noted before, Paul is in full defense mode here, and I want you to read it like he is. Paul is defending himself. He doesn't want people to reject the truth of the gospel because of what they perceive to be true and untrue in him. You may have heard this statement. I've heard it many times. It says, if if the gospel offends you, praise God. If I offend you, then that's sin. You ever hear that? Or or if I'm standing as the, the thing casting a shadow so that you can't see the light of the gospel, I'm in the wrong. Paul wants to say, as far as humanly possible, out of the way of the gospel. We're to cast no shadow from which comes forth the gospel light. Paul is making it abundantly clear that he's no second-tier apostle, and he doesn't have a bootleg gospel, both of which he's defending and he's claiming that his are utterly authentic. Paul received the truth of Jesus from Jesus. And I want you to think about this. In some respect, you have too. In a sense, you've received the truth of Jesus Jesus from Jesus himself, because faith in and of itself is a gift of God. Look in your cross-reference sheet at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, for you have been saved. You've received something, right? How? By grace. Remember the definition of grace, unmerited favor. Something was done on your behalf for you. It says you have been saved by grace through faith, through trust, or through belief. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no man can boast. That's why this whole morning we've been trying to focus your attention off of your week and focus your attention off of the strife you had this past week or or the argument you had this morning or the hustle and bustle to do something this morning. This is the space where you get to stop thinking about those things and focus on who God is, that he may set you free from the chains of stress and worry that are binding you, even in this moment. But if you just focus on him, and he does amazing work in and through that, just as God saves us from God, who would just focus in on him, God is the one who opens your eyes to the truth of the gospel. And we see that Illustrated in a whole story in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, we see a man born blind. Jesus walks up to him, makes spittle out of dirt, places it on his eyes. He did it appropriately. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And the man receives sight. Right. He was not the recipient. Or he didn't do anything. He's the recipient of God's grace and mercy. We see it again in Acts, chapter 16. Look at your cross reference sheet. Look at God working. And I want you to look at God working and remember how God worked in you. Look at your cross Acts 16, 14. This is talking about Lydia. A God-forming woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. She was listening to the apostle Paul preach. What does it say? The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. God healed the man's sight. God opened Lydia's heart. Lydia didn't open her heart. God opened her heart to hear what the apostle was saying. And she was subsequently baptized and confirmed as a Christian. Beloved, we can't argue. I can't argue you to trust Jesus. I can't debate you enough to trust in him. I lack the faculty to spiritually draw you to Jesus. I talk to Jesus about you more than I talk to you about Jesus because he has to do the work in you. He has to. I can't do it. I want to, and I'm glad I can't because I would fail miserably. God is the one who is at work in us, and he's the one that changes the disposition of our hearts. It just so happens that he uses us in the midst of doing that, our feeble words and our feeble actions and our feeble love for one another. Look again at John chapter 6, verse 29 in your cross-reference sheet. Look at what God's work is. Jesus replied, this is the work of God. What is it? That you believe. In the one he has sent. God's doing the work here in bringing people to himself. John chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. See it again in your cross-reference sheet. And this, this section is amazing. Gospel of John is amazing. But it says, he was in the world. This is Jesus. Jesus was in the world and the world was created through him. That by itself is an amazing concept, right? And it says, and yet... The world did not recognize him. Verse 11 says he came to his own. His own people didn't receive him. Verse 12, but all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. And now he gives you the means by which this occurs. Who were born, verse 13, not of natural descent, which means you can't be born a Christian, beloved. I don't know if you knew that or thought that. You can't be born a Christian. Not of natural descent, nor of the will of the flesh. Your flesh only wants what its nature desires, which is sin. You are born in iniquity, the scriptures teach, right? It says, nor of the will of man. That's talking about a few things. You can't will yourself to salvation, you can't intellectually ascend yourself to salvation, you can't save yourself. It leaves you in a point of helpless dependence upon God. And that's why it says at the end, but of God, right? You were born of him. Beloved, the fact that God has opened your eyes that we might behold him is nothing short of amazing grace. But have you slowed down to think about how God has redeemed your soul? And have you given him praise for that? When was the last time we slowed down and we paused and we thanked God for his unmerited favor? When was the last time we thanked him for the simple things? This morning at our prayer at 9 o'clock that we pray out there, Pastor Eric was leading us to pray things that we learned in the old school church. Things like, Lord, thank you for waking me this morning. Things like, Lord, I can see, praise you. All these things we take for granted. And in so doing, we're denying the very God who gives us these things. When's the last time that we thanked God, by his grace, that you're not the man or the woman that you used to be? Unless you are the man or the woman that you used to be. Unless your encounter with God was for nothing. My question is this for you, beloved. We say we have encountered God. But can you encounter God and not be indelibly changed forever? The Apostle Paul encountered the Lord Jesus and he was changed by the Almighty. Look what he says in verse 13 of Galatians chapter one. He says, for you heard about my former way of life in Judaism. Paul says, now remember, what is he doing? He's going back to his past. Right. He said, I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Paul was a persecutor of the church and he was zealous for the traditions of his ancestors. And yet notice this. He misunderstood and he didn't know the God of his ancestors. That's what's ironic. Paul says, I am zealous for the traditions and the ways of my forefathers, but he didn't even know the God of his forefathers. And what's crazy is in our city, we have people who are talking about going back to the gods of our ancestors. They don't even know the gods of their ancestors. The God of their ancestors is the God of the scriptures. But we have this desire to be connected to the past and we automatically deem it as right. It's not right, and it wasn't good. Look what Paul says about himself as he, as he talks about his past in Philippians chapter 3 in your cross-reference sheet. Starting in verse 4 middle of verse four, it says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here's Paul getting ready to boast a little bit. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Y'all see how the apostle Paul describes his past, he says, basically, y'all get it. Don't get it twisted. I'm a beast out here. right? That's how he starts it off. That's what he starts saying. But even the biggest beast gets humbled. Look at uh, in your cross. Look at uh, you might have to turn there in Acts chapter 22. The Apostle Paul's story of his conversion. This is what he says, brother. He says this in 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 Acts 22. And I want you to listen to what happened to the Apostle Paul as he had an encounter with God. And I want you to think back at your encounter with God. This is what he says. He says, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. Here he is defending himself again. It says, when they heard that he was addressing them in Aramaic, they became even quieter. And he continued. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors. Gamaliel was a prominent teacher back then. So he's a student of a beast. And he says, he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the law of our ancestors. There goes that word again, right? He says, I was zealous for God, just as you are today. I persecuted this way, meaning Christians, to death, arresting and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priests and the whole council of elders can testify about me. After I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to arrest those Uh, to arrest those who are there and to bring them to Jerusalem to be punished. The Apostle Paul says in verse 6, as I was traveling and approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you are persecuting. Now those who are with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I said, what should I do, Lord? The Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything that you have been assigned to do. Verse 11, since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, check this out, because I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me. The beast is now walking like a child. And I went into Damascus, verse 12. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said this. He said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. Now listen to verse 14 and on. It says this. And he said, the God of our ancestors has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one, and to hear the words of his mouth. There goes that word again, the God of his ancestors. Since you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you delaying? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins by calling on his name. The apostle Paul clearly had credentials. He clearly was quote-unquote, a beast as far as human standards, and yet God's arms were not too short to save even that individual who was a Hebrew of Hebrews who was zealous about the God of his ancestors, yet he didn't even know the God of his ancestors. This brings me to this point, beloved. I want you to hear this. What are we going to glean from that? Being genuine is no substitute for being right. Y'all heard that? Being genuine is no substitute. for You can be genuinely wrong. Oftentimes, we're so gentle and afraid to talk about what is true that we allow someone's sincerity to contradict what's true and we let them get away with it. But sincerity is not the the barometer by which we measure what's true. Paul was sincerely zealous about the God of his ancestors, yet he didn't even know the God of his ancestors because he was persecuting the God of his ancestors. But he was wholeheartedly doing so. Beloved, truth is always true no matter how we feel about it. And it doesn't matter how sincere you are about what you believe. If what you believe is not true and you know if you believe it's true by the way in which you act, truth will always start in your brain. It will transform and change the way in which you act in your heart. And your hands will show proof of whether or not you believe that truth. That's what it is. You can say what you want about what you believe. If it doesn't come out your fingertips, you don't. It's a cute thing that you aspire to believe. You may even acknowledge that it's right. But if you say you love your neighbor and you don't love your neighbor tangibly, you probably don't love your neighbor. Doesn't matter how genuine you said it. I'm a Christian. I don't care if you said that. Does your life show proof of walking in light of the Lord? The Apostle Paul said, no, I'm zealous for the God of my ancestors. I rep my God. I rep Yahweh all day. His life contradicted the truth. Beloved, we need to pause and take time to consider the truth of what it is we say we believe and who it is we say we're believing in. But if you don't, as I said in the beginning, take that quiet time to sit down and think through what it is you know and believe in, and what's coming through the fingertips. My Beloved, you're deceiving yourself. And when you get before God, you can say all genuinely as you want. Lord, but I loved you and believed in you. He's going to say when? When you told everybody you love me and believe in me? That's nice. Look at verse. Look at verse fifteen, Galatians chapter one. He says, you know, "Notice who's doing the action, but when God, who from my mother's womb, set me apart, and called me." by his grace. He's doing a contrast. Verse 14 says that he advanced in Judaism before many of his contemporaries among my people because they were extremely zealous for the traditions of his ancestors. And then he says, but even though I was zealous for the, for the traditions of my ancestors, he says now, but when God intervened, and I want to keep pulling you out of that. When did God intervene for you? When he intervened, he says, but when God, who from my mother's womb, what's he highlighting? No works. I didn't do anything to receive this grace from God. I couldn't do anything. I was in the womb. I was in utero. God loved me before I was even had physical form in utero is what he's saying. He says he set me apart and called me by his grace. And he was pleased to reveal his son to me, the text says, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. And I immediately didn't consult with anybody Paul is belaboring this point, a few points here, but he's belaboring this point that his apostleship and his gospel didn't come from another man. Nobody did this for him but God. And if you're an astute Bible reader, check this out. This came to mind while I was reading it. If you're a astute Bible reader and you know about the 12 apostles at all, you know that Judas ended up falling headlong and busted his guts up as he jumped. I, 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 You know, it seems like he jumped off a cliff, right, and and killed himself after betraying Jesus. And then what did the apostles do in in, in the beginning of the book of Acts? They said, man, we need to go ahead and find another apostle to replace Judas. And so they cast lots and they picked a dude named Matthias to replace Judas. And you can't help but think. "Is Is Paul taking shots at Matthias? Who was he selected by men? And he's saying, now my selection was from Jesus. But this dude, I don't know. I'm just speculating. That may not be true. But my brain went there quick. What else is Paul highlighting? He's highlighting that his salvation is not from works. It's all of God. And that's what God does. He's the one that saves and that he didn't get And then he says at the end of that verse, he says, I didn't immediately consult with anybody. Why is Paul saying that? He's letting us know he didn't get approval from the other apostles for what he's about to say. And he doesn't need their approval. He says, I got this information directly from the Lord Jesus, and no one's going to undermine that from me. And it says that God prepared Paul all his life for what he would call him to do. And that's test, that, that proves proof positive in the life of Paul, being born as a Roman citizen, yet being of Hebrew descent. And it's similar verbiage to what we see in Jeremiah chapter 1. In Jeremiah chapter 1, look in your cross reference sheet in verse 4 and 5. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. Then look what he says. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah was selected and Ready, set apart by God before he could do anything, before he was born for a mission in which God would call him to do. Paul was set apart before he was born for a mission that he would set him to do. Beloved, there's a principle being sought here. And the same is true for all of us who claim faith in Jesus, that God has set us apart for an assignment or a mission that he has set forth for us to do. Beloved, we have purpose in this life and we've not sought out to figure out what it is. What is our assignment? What is he called us to do and be in this life? Don't be content with just being Christian. Be content with being a missional Christian, a Christian who's on, who's trying to fulfill whatever it is that God has set forth for me to fulfill. He prepared Jeremiah for the the job of being a prophet. He prepared Paul for the job of being an apostle to the Gentiles. What has he prepared you to do? Moses, same thing. Moses spent 40 years in in Pharaoh's house, 40 years as a shepherd. Why? To lead his people. He had all the skill set he needed to lead his people all the way to the promised land, and he didn't even get up in there but he got them there and he fulfilled the mission in which in the assignment in which God called him to. But if you don't sit back and reflect on your past, you see, no, you don't see how God is using it to how he's redeeming your past so that he can prop you to fulfill your assignment in the future. There's a reason why you have your experiences. There's a reason why the traumatic events has happened. There's a reason why you've done what you've done and you are who you were and you did what you did. God is preparing you for something that he's going to use you for. And he set that apart since before the foundations of the world. He loved you before you, were, before you were born, and he set a mission and a job for you before you were born. Beloved, I'm not eisegeting. It's in Ephesians 2.10. That's Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. When? Now what? Which he prepared ahead of time for us to do. Then verse 17 Paul again distances himself from the, uh, the other apostles. He says, I did not go to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Verse 18. Then after three years, I did go to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. And I stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now there's confusion there. James, the Lord's brother, is not the same James as the brother of John in the scriptures. I don't know if you ever read that, but I'm trying to bring clarity. The word apostle is not unique to Jesus and his followers. The word apostle means somebody who sent. It means a messenger. It means an envoy. It means an ambassador. That's what the word apostle means. James, Jesus's brother, was a hater of Jesus until sometime after his resurrection. But sometime after his resurrection the Lord somehow redeemed his soul as well, and he was seen as a pillar in the church. And so he is also given the title of apostle. One, he's the Lord's brother. He got a little credibility to him. But secondarily, he was seen as a a pillar in the church. And so Paul uses that term apostle, and it's used loosely in the book of Acts, not just for the 12, but also for anybody who's an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ in that respect. Paul is saying that he's as authoritative as the twelve. And when he went there, he didn't get their approval. He only saw Peter. He was only there for 15 days, and he saw James for a few seconds. And then he says this in verse 20, I declare to you in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I say and what I write to you. Verse 21 is beautiful. It says, after I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, what's he doing? He's fulfilling the mission in which God called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And then in verse 22, it says, I remain personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. That makes sense. Right? Why? The persecutor's now a Christian. I don't know about y'all, but if there's a famous American persecutor, I ain't about to invite this dude to pillar. Right? If I do him, I had the homies out at the front door just in case. You know what I'm Because 'Cause I'm not gonna know. We don't know. So it makes sense that many of the churches didn't know or see Paul in person. In fact, there were uh, churches were more mobile here too. They're meeting in homes. So they're like, "Oh, Paul's on that side of town. We are gonna be over here, doc." If y'all see him coming, let me know. I don't even know what he looked like. Just look for a dude. You looking funny? We ain't seen him before? Next house. Right? That's the idea. There's a reason why the churches didn't know him. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't know who he was. But look at what they said in verse 23. It says, they simply kept hearing, he who, who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And beloved, this is to give us encouragement as to this. If there's anybody in your life that you're desiring to know the Lord Jesus, know this, his arm is not too short to save. The person whom you desire to see come to Christ was not a killer of Christians, I bet. And yet Paul transformed the Christian killer into a witness for his name. Beloved, never give up on a soul. Never make yourself unavailable to a soul that you desire to know the Lord Jesus. Tarry in prayer, tarry in witness, tarry in love. And God just might encounter that individual. Anyone can get this amazing grace. And then it says this in verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. Beloved, there are many in this city that I'm desiring to see come to faith. And there's many of you who I'm desiring to see come to faith, even though you may be here. And My desire is that you turn from whatever it is that you're believing and you turn to your trust and you entrust yourself to the person and work of Jesus, who is your perfect substitute that you find forgiveness from all that you are and all that you've said and all that you've done in the person of Christ. And then as you found forgiveness in him, you're adopted into a family, his family. And then as you're adopted into his family, you're now enlisted as a soldier in his kingdom. And now that you're in his kingdom, you become an ambassador, an apostle, an emissary, somebody who's sent by Jesus to proclaim that forgiveness of sin to the next soul. And on and on it goes. That's why the Great Commission is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations because disciples become apostles. They become ambassadors. They don't become the 12. And if you see somebody claiming the title of apostle, be a little funny. Be like, I don't know. But the purpose and the work of an apostle is the same, to be sent to proclaim that gospel truth. Beloved, I don't want to manipulate your soul. I want to say this. If you know that you are not right with the Lord Jesus Christ, your obligation and duty is to confess your sin and trust in him now. That is your obligation. Either you will pay the penalty of your sin or the Lord Jesus will. But the debt shall be paid one way or another. And it is paid not by your work, but by faith in Christ, who does the work on our behalf. Stop saying you're something that you're not. Have integrity. Admit where you are and get closer to Jesus. Because if you live as if you're what you aspire to be, you'll never be what you need to be. Father, thank you so much for letting us see the life of the Apostle Paul and the reality of his testimony. The reality that we don't have to be ashamed of our past, but you will use it to bring glory to your name. That you redeem our past if we're not ashamed of it. Father, I pray that you would that you would use your word to do whatever it's gonna do in the people. As I confessed at the very beginning of this sermon, that I ain't trying to hit home runs. I just want to be faithful to your word. You build your church. You encourage your people. You lead your people to you. And I pray that you would do that through this word this morning. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for allowing us to sing praises to your name. And I pray that just for a moment, we're able to gaze upon you. Not on our problems, but on you. We give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen.